0: Jesus, we begin our time right now just coming to you and asking for you to teach us and be faithful, Lord, to your promise that your word will never return to you void. God, that your word will always accomplish that for which you send it out to do. And so, Lord, we're going to read your word, we're going to study your word, and we're going to let it, Lord, impact us, and we're going to believe it we're going to make a choice, Father, to believe your word. Because, God, we have um, nothing if we don't have the truth of your word in our lives. So, God, we thank you so much for the, our time today. I thank you for every single person here and how, God, you have sovereignly picked them and chosen them to be here today. You've worked things out. You've worked out cars and rides and buses and so many things, Jesus, to get us, each person, gathered here because you have a specific, important thing for us to learn. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today's message is kind of an introduction to the book of Ephesians. Uh, We're not going to actually start going verse by verse through it yet, but we are going to kind of look at the beginning of it and kind of some other things through it. But it's called uh, How to Be the Church. And I thought that was a good uh, title, a good subject for us to look at. Uh, since this is kind of the foundational time in our church. You know, this is a real formative years of our church, the very beginning. And this is the very beginning of the first Sunday as White Fly Calvary. And so we are going to learn how to be the church a little bit from the book of Ephesians. I love church. Church is awesome. The church is awesome. Even on Super Bowl Sunday. I know some people don't come out to church on Super Bowl Sunday, but hey, you guys all made it, right? And we're going we're gonna to be there, we're going to watch the Super Bowl, but, you know, I, there's nowhere I would rather be than here in church. You know, Nathan had an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl, and he even chose, no, just kidding, <laughs> he didn't choose not to. He was the next in line, and he probably would have gone, but maybe the Super Bowl, nah, I think I would actually probably rather be here at church. Now, let me clarify, I love the church in spite of the church. Sometimes the people in the church get stuff all mixed up and turned around. Sometimes I get confused and treat people the wrong way, even in the church. And it's a bummer. It's a real bummer when the church isn't all it's supposed to be, isn't all it's cracked up to be. Kind of like the churches that posted these things. You know, the church that had a a low self-esteem support group. And they had this in their bulletin. They said the low self-esteem support group will meet... Thursday at 7 to 8.30 p.m., please use the back door. (laughs) Or the the ones that said in their bulletin, you know, scouts are saving aluminum cans, bottles, and other items to be recycled. Proceeds will be used to cripple children. They're kind of missing. The church isn't supposed to... hmm. Well, or how about the one that said, today's sermon, how much can a man drink with hymns from a full choir? Or... The one that said uh, in their bulletin, ushers will eat latecomers. Or the last one, remember in prayer the many who are sick of our church and community. <laughs> and it's a bummer because sometimes the church gets this reputation and where people are all sick of us. You know, because they, they're thinking, man, those Christians, they don't, they don't, they're not happy to be around. They're not fun to be around. They're all stuffy. I'm glad so many of you are wearing Broncos stuff today. i well, I actually did wear Broncos stuff. It's inside there, close to my heart. But, you know, we're not, I don't want to be that stuffy church. And of all these silly examples can, uh, you know, really point to a serious problem, which is when the church doesn't honor God as his church should. And that's, that's a problem. And uh, you guys know that the church is not just four walls and a steeple, although we're missing the steeple. We have four walls. Um, but it's the title given by God to his adopted sons and daughters who live here on the earth. The group of them is called the church. And these adopted kids have all kinds of crazy brother and sister fights and shenanigans. Anyone have more than one child? There are fights and shenanigans. Plenty of them if you have children. And uh, the, it's kind of crazy getting together all these crazy brothers and sisters on a weekly basis, or even more if you come out to church on Wednesdays or go to the other groups that we have. And, um, and those, add in those who don't even know Jesus yet or are not yet part of the family who join us, and it's a recipe for some really interesting situations. You know, kind of like the story that's told on a bright, beautiful Sunday morning, everyone in the tiny Johnstown wakes up early and goes to their local church. And before the service starts, the townspeople sit in their pews and talk about their lives and their families. Suddenly, at the altar, Satan appears. Everyone starts screaming and running for the entrance, trampling in each other, determined uh, in determined efforts to get away from evil incarnate. Soon, everyone is evacuated from the church except for one man who sat who sat, cal- he sat calmly in his pew seeming oblivious to the fact that God's ultimate enemy was in his very presence. This actually confuses Satan. And Satan walks up to the man and and he says, Hey, don't you know who I am? And the man says, Yep, I sure do. Satan says, Well, why aren't you afraid of me? And the man says, Nope, I ain't afraid. Satan perturbed said, And why aren't you afraid of me? The man said, Well, I've been married to your sister for 25 years. (laughs) See, even Satan has it out for his church. Like all of us, we got our problems and we have our marriage problems and we, oh my goodness. Even Satan hates the church. But I love the church. And Jesus loves his church. And the book of Ephesians is a perfect instruction manual for how to be the church, how to be the church, how to get it right. What really bugs me, and I don't know if this bugs you guys too, is when I feel like I just wasted my time. I feel like, man, like when you go see a movie at the theater and it just bombs. This is a terrible movie, and you're like, can I please get my money back? That was awful. Or you just you know, type up a huge report or a blog or an email and you forget to save and your computer crashes. You're like, I just wasted all that time. You feel so frustrated. Or maybe the way you feel about your job. Like, oh, every day is totally a waste. Or even your marriage, maybe. I don't know. But I don't think Satan's sister is your wife. Uh, but Ephesians will teach us how we can be the church and not be a waste of a time of a church. You know, sometimes I even, I go to church and the message just, it doesn't connect with me. And I gotta, I gotta ask myself, what is the, what is the reason for this? Cause I don't like that feeling. I don't like feeling like church was a waste of time. So I want to know from God how to be a church that's not a waste of time. Now, that doesn't mean I want to be an entertaining teacher. Or, us to be an entertaining church. You know, like Pastor Ed said, it would be really easy for us to fill up all these seats. Super easy. Super easy. We just announced that we're going to do something crazy, put it in the newspapers, and all of a sudden, you'll have a, a grip of people here to watch the crazy thing that you want. I think Pastor Ed said, uh, announce you're going to burn a pastor. You know, and that's just like, wow, people would come out to see. There'd be news vans, there'd be people taking notes. Maybe we, uh, So, it would be easy for us to fill it, but that's not what the church is for. We're not here to fill up the seats. We're here to be the church. We're here to be the church. And that's what Ephesians is going to teach us. Have you ever left church thinking, man, I could have just washed my car? Oh, what a waste of time. I could have. Or the worst thing is, how did that help me in my life? How did going to church help me? Oh, we can easily be wasting our time if we do something backwards, I think. Have you ever tried to teach a baby to be a warrior? No. (laughs) Well, probably not. Because you wouldn't start by teaching them how to battle first. You wouldn't give a baby a giant sword and say, This is how you parry. This is how you block. This is how you chop someone's head off. That is not how it would work. First you have to teach the baby to sit and then after years go by of training and learning how to talk and communicate so they can receive instruction, then they learn how to walk. And then years go by and then they don't have to wear diapers anymore. And then years go by and then they start making sense. And then years go by and then they start going to school and then it goes on and on and on. And then... They start battling. But that's exactly how the book of Ephesians will teach us to be a believer as well. We can't start backwards. And so many believers in the church have got it backwards. They've just become a believer. And then they're like, all right, now give me that sword. And they start messing around and trying to think they're in this battle. And they've forgotten the steps. They've forgotten to just sit and learn and and abide with the Lord. So the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, as we're open to that book and as we're taking a look at it, the first three chapters are all about sitting. They're just doctrine. We just sit and learn doctrine for all these weeks that we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. We're just going to be looking at doctrine for the first three chapters. And then once you get to chapter four, he says, I therefore beseech you, or I, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. It's not till that point before he ever tells you to do something. You don't have to do anything for the first three chapters. It's not about what you do in the first three chapters. It's about what God has done. It's about theology. It's about learning how to just sit. Some people think they need to be fighting this great spiritual battle for years and years and years before they, th- they will finally get to go to heaven and be able to sit and rest with Jesus. But it's actually the opposite that's true. We don't fight and fight and fight and then get to rest. We rest and sit first. And then there will come a point in time when you'll be involved in the battle. But the first step is the sitting and resting with the Lord. And so, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, backing up just a little bit, Ephesians 2 and 6, it says, And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So sitting With Jesus is a major instruction, and as we're looking at these first three chapters, it's about sitting. And I picture a child with his dad or on his grandpa's knee, just excited to hear whatever they might say. Just excited, just whatever whatever grandpa, he's always got a good story, he makes me laugh, or he teaches me something, and it's exciting. And if you look at John chapter 6, verse 10, in John chapter 6, and I'll read it to you, Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Make them sit down. There will be much, now there was much grass in the place, so the men that sat down, and the number were about 5,000. And you guys know what happened, right? He taught these guys, and he fed them too. He took care of their needs. He took care of them. And he didn't He didn't say, okay, do you guys want to follow me, the first thing to do is get out there and start witnessing to people. No, he said. The first thing to do is sit down. Let me teach you and let me feed you. That's that's the the simple heart of Jesus when someone comes to know Him. And the simple message of this book is that Jesus does the work of building His church by teaching them and feeding them. He does the work. You know, we don't have to do the work. You don't. You know, we printed out these these postcards, and I do don't want any of you to think. That it's your job to go pass those out. Please don't think that way. But if you have it on your heart to invite someone, then by all means invite someone. But it is not your job. And I will never look down on you if you said, I didn't invite anyone with those postcards because I think they look weird. Or because I don't really like church or whatever. You guys are totally free. You're free. I just... We're just here to come and, and, and learn from the Lord and, and let Him feed us. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 is a really, uh, common and familiar verse to us. And you guys have heard songs and everything. It says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. And that message of that verse is so counterintuitive. To think that something can get done by us just sitting. That something can grow by just chilling. That's my theological word for the day. Chilling. You can substitute abiding if you want for that. Or something can succeed by just waiting. Those are are not the way our culture works, because we go to, you know, the seminars and the how to succeed in business seminars. And I heard someone talking on sports radio the other day, and I think it was Joe Theismann was talking. And he's like, I go and speak to all these uh, different companies about how to succeed because I won a Super Bowl. And so I know how to succeed in the world. And you know what it takes? It takes lots of work, tons of work. And tons of dedication, and you gotta be all in, and you gotta be this, and you gotta be good enough, and you gotta be strong enough, and you gotta be funny enough. It's all about what you bring to the table, and how good you are, and how hard you try. And God seems to tell us, no, that's not how it works. It's by waiting on the Lord. Jesus is like, just sit here. Just sit down. Let me take care of you. Let me take care of your needs. Let me take care of you. Jesus wants us, as the church, to be an awesome church. And if it were up to me, I think I would start with all the instructions of what to do and what not to do. If I was Jesus and I was saying, okay, I'm going to establish this church, all my people, um, first thing I'll do is I'll give them a bunch of rules of what to do and what not to do. But Jesus is perfectly content to do the opposite order. Instead, he says, just um, hang out with me for three chapters Learning how much I love you, how much I've done for you, and who I am as a person. And then we will get to how that can be applied to your life. And how you can walk with me and how you can serve me and all these different things. If it were me, I would have got those things done up front. And then I would have said, then you can sit with me. After we've done all the work, then you can break, right? That's what you tell your kids. Do your homework first, then you can go play weed or whatever you want to do. But no, Jesus says, just sit first, and then you can do this. So let's turn in our Bibles to the book of John, chapter 14. John chapter 14, and you're going to see some really awesome truths here about how the Lord gets things done. This is kind of the -the behind-the-scenes work that Jesus is doing that you all can't see. You guys, do you ever watch the bonus features on your DVD or Blu-ray? Like, the best ones are on the Lord of the Rings, right? There's like 40 hours of extended, and they teach you how they made all the scary creatures and how they made all the swords and all the armor and whatever all the different stuff they show you the behind the scenes work of how it got done or or some fancy fantastic scene of grandeur they show how it was really just a little thing and there's you know they just it's amazing the the behind the scenes that things aren't always what we think so look in john chapter 14 verse 2 he says in my father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare, prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So what he's saying is, so I'm going to heaven before you. I'm going up to heaven. And verse 4, and then he says, And where I go, you know. And the way you know. But Thomas, look at Thomas here. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Thomas asked a brilliant question right here. He, he's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? You've never told us where you're going, and you've never told us the way. So how can you possibly expect us and tell us that we already know this stuff? How can you say that? And I I think the same way Thomas does. I'm like, wait a second, you didn't tell me where you were going. You said a place. So how am I supposed to know? And you say, I know the way? Well, if I don't know the way, I'm going to hell, so I really need to know this way. And I don't know, you didn't really tell me that there was a way, so now I'm kind of freaking out thinking there's a way I'm supposed to know, and I don't know where the way is. What in the world am I supposed to know here? I mean, was there a map you drew and I didn't see it? Was there something I missed? Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. I love him. That's exactly what I would have been thinking if I heard Jesus say that. What are you talking about? I know the way. I don't think I know the way, do I? But look what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All the disciples had been doing was sitting with Jesus, watching Jesus, counting bread for Jesus, walking around with Jesus, going to church with Jesus, going to parties with Jesus. At least that's what they thought they were doing. That's what they thought was going on. was all these surface things that they were just hanging out with Jesus. But behind the scenes... We get, we get like the DVD bonus pack here. We get to see what was going on behind the scenes. In reality, they were being changed by Jesus. They were being discipled by Jesus. They were developing a connection with the source of life and truth. They were becoming one relationally with the way. Why was this so important? Because they, if they knew the way in their hearts, they would never get lost when Jesus wasn't around anymore. If they knew the way from the inside, then it wouldn't matter what the outside looked like. They would always be able to go. It's like you're flying an airplane, you know they can fly an airplane in the fog, right? It's always blown my mind. How do you do that? There's fog. You can't see. What do you and they just have all these dials and numbers. How, what if, Does one of those mount, dials say mountain in front of you? I don't know. None of them are like a video game screen. They're just dials and stuff. How do you know if there's a mountain in front of you? Well, But that's what's going on here. Jesus wants us to have a compass, a, a direction, a way that's completely separate from what you see. A way that can guide you to where he's taking you. That's completely other than what you can figure out, what you could read on a map, what you could know. It's got to be different. It's got to be something different. And how did it come to these disciples? By spending three years chilling with Jesus. Going to parties with him, whatever. That's how it came to them. And I think that's why the book of Ephesians is written the way that it is. Jesus wants us to become so familiar with him and his character and his heart that when we walk and stand and do all the other things that the church will do, we will never stray away from the way. The way, which is him. And that's why the first three chapters of Ephesians are full of doctrine. You know, pastors, leaders, everyone has times when they forget to hang out with Jesus They just fall back into relying on their own resources to face the day ahead of them. And it will do us good to always live each day renouncing any dependency on the flesh. That's one of my favorite terms. You'll hear me say it a lot of times. Renouncing any dependency on the flesh. In other words, trying to figure out your own way. Why? Well, what's the way to be a good church? What's the way to follow Jesus? What what am I supposed to do? You know what? Just hang out with Jesus and it will be clear to you. But that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I know. It doesn't make any sense at all. But why? I don't know. Jesus is really smart and that's how he said it works. So I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe that that's how it works. There's an important phrase in the book of Ephesians that will draw us back to this truth continually as we study. And I'm going to point out to you right now, it's called heavenly places. Did you see that as we read uh, uh, a couple verses before? Well, you're going to see it a few times in Ephesians. And it's this idea that spiritual reality is just as real as the world around you that you can see. It's where the church lives. It's where the church gets its strength and its power. It's where we have peace and every other thing that we could desire. It's where our resources flow from. And this letter starts out with it. Look at chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings, spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So what this says is everything you think you need or really do need flow from one place. It's a spiritual place, and it's in Christ. A few weeks ago, we looked in depth at what we have in Christ. You remember that study when we studied in Christ? And we looked at all those different things that the Bible says are in Christ. And if you didn't don't have it, go back and listen to it. It's on our website or on our podcast. You can go on iTunes and look up White Flag Calvary, and it's there. And look up all our studies through Galatians. They're all there. You spend some time looking at what is in Christ mean. What does it mean to be in Christ? And what are these heavenly places? Where are these heavenly places? Are they in heaven? When the Bible says all these spiritual blessings, everything that we have in Christ, all the blessings, they've been given to us, and they're in heavenly places. So the question is, where are these heavenly places? Well, they're not in heaven. These heavenly places, in fact, are anywhere that you are when you believe. Anywhere you are when you believe. What blessings? All the blessings. It's the life that's available to whoever asks Jesus for it. And it's given freely by Jesus. And all these blessings are given to each and every one of Jesus' followers. Every single one of them. But wait, you say. I haven't received many of these blessings recently. You know, peace and comfort and guidance and... Everything the church is called to be, everything I'm called to be, I haven't seen that as a reality in my life recently. Well, maybe you and I need to just sit for a while with Jesus and just listen to how much he loves you, how much he's done for you. And it will soften your heart so that you can believe. You can't receive it if you don't believe it. Like a present that you don't open because you don't believe it's real or you don't believe it's really true or there. Or like not receiving your tax return because you don't believe in using TurboTax. (laughs) Just kidding. I love their commercial where they have like the money on all the stadium seats and they're like, this is all the money that wasn't claimed last year. I was like, why didn't you claim your money? It's crazy. But, because you see guys, the church is the most successful, rich, efficient, robust, blessed organization in the entire world. Did you know that? But a lot of the time, we don't know it. We, we've we been busy trying to figure out how to be successful, rich, efficient, robust, and blessed, instead of just praising Jesus and thanking him that we already are all those things without even trying. We already are all those things. Do y'all remember Moses? Moses was walking with God, walking in the desert, taking his sheep along. You know, he'd been 40 years walking in the desert and he sees a bush on fire and the bush isn't being burnt. And so he's like, this is, I love the verse in Genesis. He's like, this is a strange sight. I will now turn aside and see this strange sight that is before me. It's like so melancholy. I just Moses was just like, he was crazy from 40 years not talking to anyone except sheep. But he's there, he sees the bush, and he goes over to it, and all of a sudden God starts talking to him. And what does God say to him? God says, take off your sandals. Not what I thought God would say from a burning bush. But that's what he says. And it's important because he says, take off your sandals for the ground which you stand is holy. So here's the question. Was there anything special about the dirt that Moses was standing on? And the answer is no. It was just dirt. The answer of why it was holy is because Moses was on it. And Moses was connected with God, and so God's Spirit made it holy. God was using Moses, God was choosing Moses, and so God made Moses holy, and that made the ground that Moses stood on holy. It's kind of like you guys are given a door prize for entering the family of God. And that door prize is the Holy Spirit, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we, we handed out those bracelets to you guys, all to just coming into church. What'd you get? You got a bracelet, pretty blue bracelet. There's more in the back if you want more. You can take them; they're free. And every single believer in the church is filled with this Holy Spirit. Every single believer, and He is the embodiment of every single blessing that is found in the presence of Jesus in heaven, this spiritual world, this heavenly places that Ephesians is going to tell us about. So the church, then, is holy because it's filled with the Holy Spirit. Just like Moses and his sandals and the ground, the church, then, is just like that. The seats you sit in are holy, set apart for God. Yes, even those auditorium seats with gum on them. And so we should take off our sandals, too. What do I mean by that? You know those things that we think we bring for our journey through the desert? You know, to me it speaks of our reliance on our self-made solutions. Having no shoes on makes you more sensitive, right? Your toes can feel stuff. If you're really ambidextrous, you can pick up stuff with your toes. Pregnant ladies always do that. And maybe that's the heart that Jesus Wants for, desires for, for White Flag Calvary to have not a calloused one, but a soft heart. Maybe he wants us just to step back and say, I want, I need a softer heart. You know, I came into church and I got, man, I got some, I got some sandals on. I got, I'm guarded. I'm protected from these things that I think can hurt me. These relationships, these scary people maybe God wants us to take those sandals off and understand that he has made us holy. He's got a very special... So brothers, sisters, we are the church. We are holy, we are blessed, we have peace, and we have all victory. And this book is going to be an incredible instruction manual for how to be the church. And so step number one of how to be the church, if we're doing step-by-step instructions of how to be the church, number one is don't take a step until you sit in the holy, wonderful presence of Jesus. He is the source for everything in the church. He is the absolute source. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, we want to know you. We want to have your heart. We want to understand, Lord, what you have done for us. And the truth about who you are and the truth about your choices and the truth about your decisions, Lord. All the things that, we're, that we have coming up for us, Lord. We want to have that, that understanding rightly, God. Lord, we want to have that gift, Father, of your Holy Spirit making us holy. And Lord, as I even say that we want that, Lord, i got to understand that we already have that if we've asked you for it. And if in your life, as you're praying with me right now, and as you're thinking, and as you've been listening, and you have come to the conviction that you are not even part of the church, that you've never become part of the family of God, then now is your time. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Today is the day where you make a decision and say, I need God. To save me. And God offers to save anyone who calls upon Jesus' name and believes that Jesus died on the cross as a substitute and a sacrifice for your sin. And then you get what? You get everything given to you. All of Jesus' righteousness given to you. All of Jesus' blessings given to you. And you can just give up trying. Give up trying to please God. Give up trying. And if that's you today, you know, I invite you to put up your hand and we'll pray together. And the Lord is calling you out to the, out of your life of self-dependency and into a life of just trusting Him, depending on what He has done, depending on how He loves you. Amen, brother. So just pray with me as we pray this. Jesus, I believe in what you have done for me. Jesus, I need your help so much. I am tired, God, of trying to earn your blessings. And Lord, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I receive that forgiveness that you offer to whoever may ask you. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.